Good morning, Retreat Church. I'm glad you're joining us again on our YouTube page or other um, YouTube channel or other platforms. This morning, I pray that you've uh, gathered your family around with you or shared this message with others in your life. We believe in the church that this is a strategic time to be spreading the Word of God in this way. We believe God has called us to do it and to do it well. And uh, we believe that God is using each and every one of you to get the Word into hearts and homes that otherwise um, would not be participating. So thank you in advance for that. That is going to be good to hear the testimony and news of things going on in people's lives being changed because you decided to care and uh, send out the Word of God. Well, last week, we decided that we were looking at the ascension of Jesus, and that I spoke a little bit about the fact that um, it is sometimes a, a ignored big, big moment in Jesus' life, and we come off of Easter and the excitement, and rightfully so, in dealing with the resurrection of Jesus, and then we get into the Holy Spirit in the church, and we, we start thinking about that, rightfully so, just an amazing time of year to think about the harvest beginning of souls coming into the church, and the explosion of growth, and the excitement of the disciples, and all that was taking place in the early church, and, and the newness of that, and the change that it was bringing to the entire world is just an, an amazing thing to study. Um, but I wanted to settle in for a couple weeks on the ascension of Jesus, and in doing so this morning, I want to look at this idea um, from two different vantage points, one prior to the ascension and one um, sometime after the ascension. The first view that I want to look at is the view of Jesus as he anticipated his death, resurrection, and ascension. And I believe that Jesus in John chapters 13 through 17 was viewing that as one whole kind of event, that he was looking at his death, resurrection, and ascension as the glorification of God and Himself. And part of that, the ascension part of that, was His return to His former glory. And so we're going to talk a little bit about Jesus' perspective of His own ascension. But then what we're going to do after that is we're going to go back and we're going to look at three of the Gospel writers as they wrote about the ascension of Jesus some 30 to 40 years after the event. So you have Jesus in the last week of his earthly life approaching his death, resurrection, and ascension. And then you have the early church birth with the infilling of the Holy Spirit and the world being changed. And then you have about 30 to 40 years later, you have the disciples or the gospel writers writing about this event. And with that in mind, as we take those two perspectives of the ascension of Jesus, I believe that it will call us, among many things, to at least this one thing. And that is this, living in the answered prayer of Jesus living in the answered prayer of Jesus. So with that thought in mind, grab your Bibles, turn to John chapter 17, and we're going to very briefly um, look at three observations when Jesus was looking forward in anticipation of His death, resurrection, and ascension, and focusing primarily this morning on His ascension. The first thing we notice in the first five verses of this chapter, it was, it was a prayer. I really hope that you see this as a prayer more than a chapter in a book. Okay, I want you to see this as a prayer. In fact, we've historically understood this section of Scripture as the upper room discourse. And then when we get to chapter 17, we understand this as Jesus' high priestly prayer. 
And there's a bunch of things that Jesus is praying about here. And, and to do this passage justice, we would need a whole series of messages and still probably not exhaust the, the information that we have about Jesus as our high priest and his prayer for us. But as he was anticipating his um, death, burial, and ascension, or excuse me, death, <laughs> resurrection, and ascension, he was praying for his disciples, but he was also, we discover, praying for those who would believe because of their word, and that is us this morning. So Jesus was praying for all of us. So how do we live in the answered prayer to Jesus? First thing that we notice here in this whole chapter is this, that living in the answered prayer to Jesus, excuse me, living in the answer to Jesus' prayer, as he anticipated his ascension, would lead us to a return to his prior glory. Notice this. He says in verses 1 through 5, when Jesus had spoken these words, that's in chapter 16, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, and the Son will or may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all who have given to him. And this is eternal life that they may know the only true God, that Jesus Christ whom you have sent, I glorify you, glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work you have given me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. So when Jesus is thinking about his glorification, he is thinking about his own restoration back to that time before of all creation. And you're going to have to go into maybe the book of Colossians to understand more of that. We can't stop too long on that. But how does that apply to us living in that? And that is this, that we live and we exemplify and we join in the glorification of Jesus as God. We rejoice and we live out in that glorification of Jesus at the place of all authority. Now, are you giving in your life? Have you turned over authority to your life, to the Lord Jesus? And are you living in the glorification of Him? Is that your goal this morning? Is your goal to live and to glorify God? I've been thinking a lot about my mission in life, my calling in life, and how God is shaping that and inform, forming that. And this text in that process has kind of brought me back to this need that however I'm doing this, that if I'm, I'm here as your pastor, if I'm a neighbor, if I'm working at my job as a teacher, whatever I'm doing out in the community, am I bringing glory to God? And if I am bringing glory to Jesus in this sense as He is who He is, that he, he has humbled himself and died on a cross, that he has resurrected to new life, that he has ascended to his rightful place at the right hand of God. If I am glorifying God in that way, I am living in the answered prayer of Jesus. Jesus also then, and I'm going to ask you later to read this text in its entirety, but we're going to jump down to verses 11 and 12 because I think we see another way to live in the answered prayer of Jesus in those two verses. Notice this, Jesus continuing to pray. He said, and I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one even as we 
are one. While I was with them, I kept them in Your name, which You have given Me. I have guarded them. I have not one of them has been lost except the Son of Destruction that Scripture may be fulfilled. So when we look at Jesus thinking about His ascension, He's praying for our unity. What kind of unity? The unity that He has with the Father. This oneness. This intrinsic oneness. This um, ability to share in the likeness of God. Even talking to one of our groups this week and talking about a book um, that I challenged each one of them to, to read and even talking about them with the details of this book, it seems to me that in, this, in her book, When the Heart Waits, Sue Monk Kidd talks about part of the goal of God in our life is to restore His divine image within us. And I think that that can be a very key place for us to be unified. That as God restores the divine image within us, I think that that is part of what Jesus meant when He said, Lord, make them one as we are one. Restore that divine image. Jesus points to that idea when He asked a person who is asking, well, should we pay taxes to Caesar? And Jesus says, well, whose image is on the coin? Caesar's. He says, we'll render under Caesar what is Caesar's. And the man did not ask the follow-up question, which he should have asked. He should have asked, well, then whose image is on me? We were created in the image of God. And the process of sin has destroyed that. But God has come through Jesus and His death and in His resurrection and in His ascension. He is restoring that divine image within us. He is restoring the unity between us and the Father. And part of the prayer of Jesus and living within the answered prayer of Jesus is that we together as we are moving through our relationship with Him, as He is working sanctification in our hearts, that we are being unified under the identity of God in our own lives. And when people look to us, they should see that. We may worship in different places. We may worship with different styles. But the image of God being restored within the believer should be the mark of the unity that we portray to our communities and in which we call people into. So I really believe that living in the, living in the answered prayer of Jesus will be an expression of this kind of unity. The third observation comes from verses 13 through 19, where we learn that living in the answered prayer of Jesus as he anticipated his ascension is that he, his complete joy as we are sanctified by the truth, his complete joy. Notice in verse 13, he says, and he, as he continues to pray, But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy. Notice that, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the word world has hated them because they are not of this world, just as I am not of this world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one, that they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Notice this prayer. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is the truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake I consecrated myself, that they also may be sanctified in the truth. Sanctification means several things. 
but at least in this sense, it's meaning at least two things. One, it's meaning purify us. Purify us by His Word. Purify us by the truth. But it also means in this sense as well, as you'll notice when Jesus talks about in the world and He's not of the world and He's sending us into the world though we're not of the world either, you notice that there's that separation because sanctification not only purifies us, but it sets us apart for holy use. And so living in the prayer of Jesus is a part of us deciding that we are not going to follow the worldly, materialistic, naturalistic, atheistic, all those istics and isms, all of those things that kind of bring together the culture in which we live, that we will move in a countercultural way into the culture, speaking truth as we have been sanctified by truth. And if we are doing that together, unified as God begins, and that work in us to restore His divine nature within us, He sanctifies us by His truth, He purifies us, He sets us apart, then He sends us in with the truth. That should be the church. And that does not require a building. That does not require anything other than you and I being unified under this desire to live in the answered prayer of Jesus and allow Him to sanctify us and put, place us into the world as agents of spreading truth. So living in the answered prayer of Jesus is understood in what He prayed as he looked forward to his ascension. You'll notice that Jesus, as he anticipated his ascension, was thinking about us and how we moved forward. He was thinking about his fact that he was going to not necessarily be with them in the same way, though as we're going to see, he was still going to be with them in the person of the Holy Spirit. A second way that we can look at this, as I said in the introduction, is to reflect upon the words of the Gospel writers as they some years later began to look back and reflect upon this time. Their reflections can be found in the, at the end of their Gospel accounts. And as we do this, we come to understand that living in the answered prayer of Jesus is exemplified by the reflection of the Gospel writers, and may we too reflect on them as they have given their word to us. So the first thing that we come to understand through Matthew, we're just going to deal with it, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John doesn't really address it in this way that we're going to look at today. But the first thing with Matthew is this, that recognize that he is still with me. Now you might find that kind of weird to think, wait a minute, Jesus said that no longer will I be with you. I am going to a place that you cannot go. And he's, he's speaking of this leaving kind of language. And he's talking about returning to his former glory. Returning, returning, and going. Returning and going. Jesus is talking about those ways. The disciples in John chapters 13-17 through 17 are heartbroken. They didn't understand what was going on. They had just received Jesus back from the grave. And he's talking about this, this idea of leaving. And, and and very confusing, but then he says it's good for them that he goes away because then the Comforter will come, then the Helper will come, then the Holy Spirit will give them power to be his witnesses, and he says that he's been with them, but then through the Holy Spirit would be in them, and he talks about all this very scary kind of language that you and I might be having a fair amount of confusion over. And there's a big, big section of theology in dealing with the Holy Spirit, much of which... We teach throughout the year, 
but not this morning. This morning, we're going to kind of leave you in a little bit of that tension between he's going, but he's still here. How is that? Again, through the Holy Spirit. But notice what Matthew says in Matthew chapter 28, a very familiar passage to all of you. Preachers that do what I do, we often use this passage to uh, encourage you that uh, we're supposed to be spreading the gospel of Christ, that it is um, a command. Some people um, speak of it, and I've done so as well, by saying it is not a, a grand suggestion. It's the Great Commission. And so we want to do that. But notice there's a very key phrase when we start to read this along the lines of viewing the ascension. Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 16, Jesus says this. Now, um, excuse me, let's back up here the words of Matthew before Jesus. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. So they're viewing the, the resurrected Jesus, and now they're obeying him. Okay, this is, this is great for them. Verse 17, and when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. I love that the Bible is honest about that. That even the resurrected Jesus had people showing up, seeing him alive, and thinking, eh, I don't know. I pray that all throughout our churches, there are people that are showing up that go, I don't know. And that they're getting answers to their questions. So even that was there. And then verse 18, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And then look at this phrase. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I'm with you. I'm leaving, but I'm with you. It's a paradox, isn't it? It's not a contradiction. I'm leaving, but I'm with you. And living in the answered prayer of Jesus is understanding that He is with us in this moment and in every moment. That He's with us and notice He was talking to the people that doubted. He was with the doubter. And so Jesus, as He says that to us, He says, I'm going to be with you always and leaves us in that tension. A second observation as we turn to the book of Mark, you'll notice this, and Mark 2 is picking up on this idea that Jesus is going yet remaining. Notice how Mark concludes in chapter 16, verses 19 and 20. He says, So then the Lord Jesus, after He had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. There's the leaving. Now you've got verse 20. And they, the disciples, went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. Worked with them. Isn't that amazing? He ascended, but He's working with them. He's ascended. He's returned to His former glory. He has been glorified. But he's working and confirming. I'm praying. I'm praying that for all of you that are joining in and sharing the Word of God, that God is joining in, that God is working with you, that God is confirming the message, that you're sharing the message with people in your life and God is confirming that by working in your life and working in them. I pray that there is a unity of your words and the experiences that people are having 
because that is one of the hardest hurdles to overcome is when we read the Word of God and we anticipate certain things and then those anticipated things don't match up with reality and we start to really have a faith struggle and faith conflict in our lives. And many, many times as we walk through our relationship with God, there are those things and it takes some time to walk through them and it takes some time of patient waiting on the Lord for Him to bring those things together in our lives because there's a season and many repeated seasons in our life when we feel like those things just aren't happening. But living in the answered prayer of Jesus is living in this sense that we are preaching His Word and He is confirming His Word within us. And yes, He has been glorified, but yes, He is still working within us and confirming His Word in our hearts and in our lives. Thirdly, when we look at the Gospel of Luke, we see Luke doing a similar thing, presenting a similar idea. Um, in his gospel account, in Luke chapter 24, you'll notice in verses 50 and 53. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. So this is what they were doing. Luke gives us this idea after Matthew and Mark tell us that Jesus continued to work in them, continued to confirm in them, said that Jesus will be with you, said that He's working with you, confirming His Word in you, doing these things in you. And then Luke says to us that they returned and they worshipped God and blessed God. I believe that that's part of living in that state where we are glorifying God. And so living in the answered prayer of Jesus would be living in these moments of unsurety. Living in these moments that in what Jesus said would happen hasn't happened yet. Because as they returned and they began to worship God, a lot of these miracles and a lot of these things that we read in the book of Acts were yet to take place. In fact, Luke was going to tell us about him because he writes his gospel and he writes the book of Acts. And so they were blessing God and praising God even though what they were going to experience was going to be very challenging and even though all of the promises of God were yet to be fully lived out. And yet they were still struggling with this idea that He's going, but the Holy Spirit is coming and He's going to be with them in a brand new way. And so we today understand that Jesus is living with us in a new way. I think every stage of life, we are living with Jesus in a new way, both individually and as a corporately as a church, as a nation, as God takes us to new places, as a corporate church, as God takes us to new places, as He's spreading His Word throughout this time in our country and throughout our world. We believe that God is doing something amazing, something through this, while the world wants to whine and the world wants to complain and while they want to blame government and want to do all of these things. Meanwhile, amongst this chaos, you'll notice that God's Word is always going forth. No matter how you study history, 
no matter what was going on in the world, as the world has suffered before, as countries have battled each other before, as mass confusion has reigned before, so God is, pe- is working in His people as His people want to complain and people want to blame and people want to whine and people want to do all of these things. What happens is God's Word continues to go forth and the prayer of Jesus is continually answered. And so I'm challenging you during this time in our, in our world and in our community and your families that you will live in the answered prayer of Jesus. My challenge to you as I finish up this morning is this, that I pray that you would read through. Read through that prayer. Spend some good quality time. Maybe every day in this coming week, read John chapter 17 at least once. And ask yourself a question, Lord, how can I grow in living in the answered prayer? In living in the answer to what You requested from the Father? How can I be part of the answer? What a wonderful prayer that is for each and every one of us to make. To say, God, how can I be a part of the answer? I don't care whose fault it is. I don't care who should have done more or who should have done less. I don't care what people are are, are motivated by. I just simply want to know, Jesus, how can I live and be part of the answer? God bless you. Let's pray. Father, we thank You today, Lord, for loving and caring for each one of us, for guiding us and navigating us. We trust that Your Holy Spirit is working in so many powerful ways, on ways that we'll hear about and some ways that we may not ever hear about. That, Father, You are changing people. You are changing the world. We know that there is a lot of chaos and a lot of blame and a lot of anger and a lot of confusion. But, Father, I pray for Your people today. I pray that they would decide in and of themselves to be part of the answer the answer to your prayers and I Lord that wouldn't that be a wonderful thing if this next week several people came to know you because others decided that they were going to be part of your answered prayer we love you we ask that your Holy Spirit would fill each one we ask that your Holy Spirit would empower each one that you would bring healing to people's lives today that you would bring calmness to their mind for those that are doubting we see them present in the scriptures we pray Lord that your promise of being with them and answering their questions and confirming your word in their hearts we pray Lord that you would sanctify the doubter by your truth and by your word and that father they would come to a place in their life when they believe firmly and they are standing on the truth of your word and then thriving in life we love you we give you all the praise and glory we love you in jesus name amen god bless you we'll see you next time